Can we? Thank you. So this morning, we're, um, I'm very excited to be with you this morning and uh, next week as well. Uh, you may not be so excited, but I'm excited. Um, and and it's, it's interesting to me uh, because I'm kind of doing some double duty this morning, uh, which is fine. Um, but like uh, most mornings, we have the enemy is running amok. And the enemy is doing so in our system in the back and has for a long time. And uh, so I, I am praying that we have exercised those demons out of our computer, out of our sound system, uh, and that we will be able to do what God has commanded us and do what he is asking for us to do. And it's interesting because it's been two months, almost exactly two months, um, since I last spoke. And so that was, that was very interesting because a lot has taken place in the past two months, especially in our family. So I'm going to give you a quick state of the Hauser family for you. Uh, um, uh, so Kristen and the kids kind of knew this was coming, right? But on uh, July 4th, 2020, or 20, yeah, 2020, at 1.36 in the afternoon, Maddox Anthony Hauser was born right? It was quite a shock, to be honest, uh, because uh, he was 13 days early, right? And that was quite an uh, unusual thing for us, because, um, and even though our girls were two weeks early, each of them, Annika and Elise, uh, we had scheduled them, so we knew they were coming. But when Kristen woke up way early, like at four in the morning on, on July 4th, and then, you know, she, the contractions just got worse, and then she woke, she got out of bed at five, and I woke up, and she goes, uh, I think we have to go. Uh, and, and I'm standing there at the end of the bed or near the end of the bed, looking at our bags that are packed, thinking about what, what do I need to do and everything, and, and just still a lot of sleep going on. Uh, and she's like, it's okay, you can take a shower. <laughs> we'll be fine. <laughs> Make it quick, though. So I, I was able to do that, which was great. So I was able to clear my head, right? But Today is, or yesterday rather, Maddox was four weeks old, which is hard to believe. He is four weeks old. So here we have um, on the, uh, your left is Maddox in the hospital. And so that was Maddox on the hospital. The one on the right is mid-sneeze. I thought it was hilarious, so uh, I added it there. Um, and so he's about a week old in that picture. Um, and then here we have a couple of more of Maddox. Uh, the one where it says uh, sun, sand, and uh, surf, uh, that was taken uh, Friday, I believe. And so that was most recently. And so that's amazing, right? I cannot believe that he's four weeks old. Now, in comparison, I decided to do a little bit of research, so uh, a little rough math, uh, but I am 2,268 weeks old, um, which is, you know, amazing. Um, they, like I said, that's rough math. Um, but it, it'll be fantastic because on, born on the 4th of July, we will be able to celebrate his birthday in grand fashion with about 400 million of his closest friends, right? <laughs> and so it'll be, it'll be great, right? And then something amazing happened. Kristen was amazing in the delivery and she was fantastic um, and dealt with the pain very well, right? But then I figured that she couldn't do that alone. So the following Thursday after he was born, I had kidney stone. So I, I woke up with, with <laughs> kidney stone pain. 
uh, and, and if you ever had a kidney stone, or they say it's uh, like it's comparable to giving birth. It's that kind of pain. So um, that was a lot of fun, right? And the, the hard thing is, is, is I still have them, right? And so it's, the, it's a gift that keeps on giving all summer long for me, which I'm very excited, right? But getting, getting back to Maddox, because it's all about him, right? And, and my, you know, Annika and Elise, the, you know, they know that, at least right now. But he's doing fantastic, right? He's growing. He's getting chubby, which is awesome. He's gaining weight. Um, he's gotten a lot more fussy, uh, and, which is not so great. Um, and, but he's, he's a good eater, and he's sleeping a little bit more through the night, which is also fantastic for us. Um, but his sisters are doing amazing. They are just amazing with them. And uh, when we came home, they were, because they couldn't be in the hospital with us, so they didn't see him until we came home, right? And we video chatted with them in the hospital, but it's just not the same. So, they, <laughs> so they're there, and they've been fantastic. And Annika's been helping out in the morning. She's an early riser anyway. So she's helped out between um, like six and seven, she'll take over. And then Kristen and I will wake up later, and then uh, Kristen and I will have them throughout the day, and then I stay up until about one, uh, midnight, one-ish. Yesterday was about 11.30 when I went to bed just to be able to get up early. And then at least takes them from that time, like 11 to uh, whenever I go to bed until about two to four in the morning. And then Kristen will get up at that time when he's fussy so she can go to sleep. He'll, she'll get up and then take him until six or seven when Annika gets up, hands him off to Annika, and then she'll go for another few hours of sleep. So we're, we're constantly moving, right? But um, they're doing great, and they're helping out a lot with changing and feedings and, and just amazing, and it's fun. And they come in the room, and his eyes start wandering, searching for them because he knows their voices, and that's awesome. Uh, but as you guys know, or, you know, uh, and maybe not, but this is our first boy, right, which is unique in a lot of different ways, um, and so we're trying to, we're learning how to change a diaper very quickly. Um, and, and I feel like we're, we're almost like NASCAR pit crew, right? <laughs> trying to get it done very, very fast. Um, but there have been times in which Maddox has not been so, we, let me rephrase that. We have not been so quick, right? We, we were slow pit crew. Uh, and that happened to me on Friday. So Friday, Maddox decided that I was concentrating too much on changing his poopy diaper, uh, that he wanted to insert his dominance in the family. He's like, no, I'm in charge. Uh, and, and just to see that, um, needless to say, I had to do a complete wardrobe change. Um, and uh, that was, you know, everything was done. Now, when I tell the girls, because nobody was around, and I tell Annika and Elise, and they're going, that's great, Maddox. Good job. I'm like, no, we don't want to encourage that. That's not okay, right? But, you know, I could stay up here all day long and just talk about him because he is so amazing. And as you know, for people who have children, it's amazing to see them grow, even at this age, from week to week to week to week, right? And they're starting to fill out and they're starting to do little things, Right? So as you feed him, it's like, Maddox, I got a bottle here. And you know, instead of hands up this way, he's starting to put them down or away from his mouth because he knows, ooh, this is good stuff. I want to eat. Right? So that's a lot of fun. Right? But I want to get back to um, 
the sermon this morning. And it's been a, just a weird year, right? And for the Hauser family, it's been exceptionally weird because in February, I lost my job, right? I was laid off. COVID happened, right? Kristen's pregnant through this whole thing. We had Maddox in July. Annika came home from spring break from California and never went back. Um, you know, it's just been a very odd year. And, and we collectively as a society have done this together. It's been very odd. And um, the one thing that has been weird is, you know, for us, the birth is weird because it's just Kristen and I. And, uh, you know, the girls weren't there. Graduations have been weird, right? We think of David trying, you know, graduating. Uh, and just the weirdness of that and how different it was, right? Weddings are odd. You know, funerals are hard because you can't have a lot of people, right? Or if you do, it's got to be in a place that is really spread out. So in, the interesting thing is that as we get back to our, the sermon this morning, in June, my cousin's mother-in-law passed away. And it was kind of unexpected. She was not doing so well health-wise, but it was still unexpected. And as we were up there and we were at his property, he's got 43 acres, so he's got enough for people to spread out. Um, and as he was up there, his father-in-law asked his uh, pastor to say a few words. And if you know anybody who's asked to say a few words who's a pastor, it ends up being a much longer sermon-esque thing, right? They just can't help themselves, to be honest. We just can't, right? So he starts speaking, and it was very nice, unusual, right? Because the gentleman looked, if you know Jason Wakefield, he looks like Jason, so big beard. He looks like he just came out from, like, nowhere, right, in a cabin. And, but he was, it was a beautiful thing that he spoke, and he spoke a lot on this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, right? And so that's what his central theme was throughout this whole thing, right? But it wasn't this entire verse. It was just the first phrase, right? But I wanted to read the whole verse to you. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, so he spoke a lot about fight the good fight of the faith. Well, he actually didn't get that part. It was just fight the good fight, right? And a lot of times that equates or people use that to equate to um, well done, good and faithful servant. They use that to do that. But this is something, and I want to go through this because on the way home from Bellingham, it was just my father and I, and he's chatting up a storm. And all I could do was think about this verse, right? And that was really weird because I wasn't a very good conversationalist for him, which he was kind of disappointed in, I think, right? Because I'm staring out the window contemplating and we're just chatting about it. And I know for many of you, as you read the Bible, you hear someone speak, something is said in a song that you start marinating on that, you chew on it, you think about it, you can't get it out of your head. And that's what happened with this. So when Chris asked me to speak, I had been chewing on this for a couple of weeks or about a week and a half. And I'm like, okay, who am I to ignore what the Holy Spirit's saying to me? I've done it before, so why not now? But I didn't, right? But I didn't. And that is the cool thing about this. But it's been hard. 
The enemy is all around us, and that's what made it hard. And as I was thinking about that, thinking about 2020, thinking about what's going on, and thinking about this verse, who are we really, excuse me, who are we really fighting? And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. Fight the good fight of the faith, right? Fight the good fight of the faith. So we're going to look at that today. Next week, we're going to look at the rest of the verse, okay? But today, we're going to look at fight the good fight of faith. And really, I want to look at fight. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time looking at fight because it's, it's one of those things that we have a vision of, right? If you're in middle school, right, like when I was in junior high at Olympic, the imaging of fight was two kids hiding to duke it out physically, right, behind the building, right? Fight is, there's different things that conjure up, but they're all very similar, right? And we can look at the definitions because there's a verb and a noun. The verb says, take part in a violent struggle involving the exchange of physical blows or the use of weapons. Now, if we were to think of our society today, right, there are a lot of pictures that we can use, a lot of mental images. We can just turn on the news and see that. There's a violent struggle where people are using weapons, where people are do, using, being destructive doing that. If we look at the noun, it says a violent confrontation or struggle. And we see that in our spiritual lives. Right? We are struggling between our human nature and that of Satan. And that involves the world as well. Because we are looking through the lens of Christ, through his blood that, we, that was shed for us, as we take part in communion this morning, that's what we should be looking at. But then we have the enemy on the other side that's going, wait, time out. I want you as far away from Jesus as humanly possible. I don't want you thinking about him. I don't want you reading about him. I don't want you praying to him, communicating with him. I don't want that relationship with him. I want you. And so that's what's going on, right? And it's interesting because we can see both of these in the news, in papers, in social media, talking to people here at church, talking to family, talking to people at the store, hearing just people talking that we're not even associated with, as well as Pastor Chris, right? The last few weeks, he's been talking a lot about that, the struggle that we have. We are in the midst of a violent confrontation or a, or a struggle within our society. And there's interesting because as believers, there's a, quite a few people that, that, that would think or that do think um, that's so far away. That has nothing to do with me. That's not, I don't see that in my personal life. I don't see that at home. I don't see that with the people I associate with at church. That's something that's so far away. And we have that in a lot of themes in movies, right? And one, the one that comes quickly to mind because I'm a nerd like that uh, is Star Wars. In the 1977, uh, when they first did it, the the movie A New Hope, right? When it, um, there's a scene where uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is telling Luke, I want you to do this. I want you to, you know, basically join the rebellion. Become a Jedi like your father. And Luke goes, 
I hate the empire. I really do. But it's so far away. It doesn't affect him where he lives. But what I would tell you is that it does. It affects us all. Right? The enemy is affecting us all. And he's using the tools that are at his disposal to really affect us and to make us think differently. And this struggle has been going on for a very long time. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3, almost the very, very, very beginning. Right? And if you think of it in a church setting, which is very interesting, right? In a church setting, there's only three people in the church. There's Adam, there's Eve, and there's Lord, the Lord God, our Father, as the preacher, right? He's walking with them. He's talking to them. He's teaching them. He's helping them. And then they start listening to the enemy, listening to the devil. That fight has been waging a long time. But here in 1 Timothy, Paul is actually talking to Timothy and telling him that he needs to fight. And this is an action word, right? Fight is an action. We need to take part. We don't need to sit on the sidelines. We don't need to sit procrastinating that someone else will take care of it. Because that's what a lot of us hope to do. I'm not going to do it. We're going to let them do it. We're going to let Pastor Chris deal with it because he's the pastor. I don't have to. I'm going to let the missionaries deal with it because, well, they're missionaries. That's not what Paul's talking to. He's saying that all of us need to get our butts in gear, right? And he's not saying, okay, now we need to get our butts in gear from the ages 18 to 60. He doesn't say that. All, all of us need to get our butts in gear. And, you know, the interesting thing is, as I was writing this, there was a lot of conviction on me because I'm speaking to me as much as I'm speaking to everybody else. It's easy for us to sit on the couch and want somebody else to do it. It is easy to do that. But God doesn't say it's going to be easy. He never tells us it's easy. Right? As we have people who think that the issues, the confrontation is far off, that it doesn't affect us. There are others that believe that uh, they did their time and now it's time for somebody else. I'm, and I'm sorry for saying this, I'm old and I don't want to do this. I'm tired. It's time for somebody younger to do it. Uh, God doesn't tell us that there's an age limit. I am just as culpable, I have just as much responsibility. I have just as much um, uh, uh, not desire, God's desire in me as my children who are younger, as Maddox, who's four weeks old, right? As my wife's grandmother, who's 88, who's 88 years old, right? We all, no matter what age you are, we have a job to do, right? We have a job to do. Um, now, it's interesting because here in Washington, as we look around, right, or in the United States, uh, we really don't have to worry so much about being a believer, being a follower of Jesus and our physical well-being. We don't have to go outside and fear that we're going to be hurt or anything like that physically. Um, but a lot of us are hurt or uh, scared that we'll be hurt by words, 
right? We don't want our reputations damaged or we don't want our feelings hurt in any way, right? But the thing is, is that because of the way the enemy is moving, and if we look back through history, the way that the world is moving, I'm afraid for my kids and I'm afraid for Maddox, right? I am afraid of what it's going to be like in 15 to 20 years. Annika is 20. She's a young, she's becoming an adult, right? She's in school. She's almost there, right? She's back there correcting me that she's actually 19 right now. I can hear it in her mind, right? That disgusted eye rolling. I'm 19, dad, right? But she's, be, she's in the midst of a young adult trying to figure out what does that mean, right? Elise is 15, right? She's teenage learning, trying to figure out, looking at her sister, looking at us, at Kristen and I going, what does it mean to be an adult? What do I want that to look like, right? And for things, it's like, I'm scared of what that might look like. I'm a little bit nervous. But that's the interesting thing. And then we got Maddox, who in 15 to 20 years will be in their spot. And what does the world even going to look like then? We need to fight the good fight. There is a struggle that is going on for not just our lives, but our spiritual lives, right? We are here only a few moments, really, in God's plan. It's just for a short, short time. But he has a plan for all of us, and we need to fight, right? Fight the good fight, right? Fight, that's an action word. That's not one of passiveness, right? That's not one that is procrastination. That is an action. That is something that is one of movement. As I stated before, we cannot do that by sitting on our butt. We just can't. We can't do that by sitting on the sideline. We can't sit on, the, on our posterior to do that. It's a command from God that he uses Paul to describe, right? It's similar, I, you know, I think of Matthew 28. Right, the Great Commission of verses 18 through 20 says, go. It's the same action. Go. We need to do something with that. He tells us we need to fight. Now, this specific word fight, Paul uses five times in, in other books, other epistles that he has, and it's used once in the book of Hebrews. And all of them show a fight as an action to be in a conflict or a struggle. Now, Paul says, we need to fight. And I'm thinking to myself, I can do that. We're called to be soldiers. I can do that. We have a choice to make. Are you going to fight? Or are you not going to fight? But for a lot of us, we have to understand why are we fighting? Where are we fighting? We have to ask those questions and there is a place that will answer them. But the thing is that we have believed in is that we need to answer them ourselves. It's up to us to do that. We need to fight the good fight of faith. Right? We today, myself, I have a struggle that happens every day. And that's between my human nature and my spiritual nature. Right? God has called me to do something that is different from everybody else. And it is hard. 
because my human nature is like on that side of the building and my spiritual nature is in New York City. It's that far apart. It is so, there's not even close because I want the desires of the flesh. I want to be able to do that. I, I, I. I want to feel good, even if it's just for a minute second. And God says, do this and you will feel good for eternity. If you follow me, you'll be good for eternity. We can be good soldiers and march towards the enemy with guns in hand, ammo ready, safety's off, ready for battle. And as we get ready to do that, Paul tells us, fight the good fight of the faith. But when I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that and I'm telling Paul, I'm ready to do damage. I'm ready to be in the front lines. I'm ready to sacrifice myself for whatever it takes. I'm ready to go down in a firestorm, to come running out of the building and just get blown up by bullets. I'm ready to do that. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying that we need to do that as good soldiers. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Of the faith. So we need to look at faith. Right? What is faith? And what is he talking about? Now, the writer of Hebrews in 11.1, which is the entire chapter on faith. Excuse me. It says in Hebrews 1, 11, 1, it says, Now, faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of the things not seen. Now, faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of the things not seen. Now, the, the author of Hebrews is not defining faith as something that is vague, that's a vague hope or grounded in imaginary wishfulness, right? He's not doing that. He's, he's using it because he's settled on the confidence of something in the future from God. Something that is not seen but promised by God and that it will actually come to pass. God's promises are more than just set in stone. Right? They're more than that. They're stronger than that. God's promises, his promise to us, and we're going to look at that promise next week specifically, but that promise to us as people who believe in him is astounding. I think that's an amazing definition that the writer of Hebrews uses. And as we look at it, as we look at faith, Paul and the writer of Hebrews is talking about not, is not talking about like taking a leap in the dark. Hopefully this might happen. He's not talking about that at all, but he's talking about a confident trust in the heavenly father, a God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ. This faith in God, the faith in his word, the faith in Jesus is an assurance. It's a guarantee, affirmation, a promise 
for all of us who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the things that we cannot see yet. Cannot see it yet. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't add or talk about somebody of faith from the Old Testament. And there's a lot of them to choose from. There is a ton, right? There is a ton. And, and mine is the one who I really want to just take a brief moment to talk about is someone, it's kind of um, obvious, but I, I still want to talk about Abraham. Just a brief moment. Now, Abraham and us, how we are alike in a lot of ways, right? So a lot of us know that Abraham is kind of the father of faith, right? And in Genesis, God tells us that, he, or God tells Abraham to leave his home and to go, right? Go. And Abraham does. He just gets, picks up his stuff, takes his nephew, takes his wife, takes his stuff and leaves. And the people there are going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Who are you following? And it reminds me a lot of people today. We have people who hear God's word and he, they say, he says, go, and they go. They go become missionaries. They go to another town. And there are people who are like, are you nuts? Do you know where that's at? Do you know what you're doing? Is it really God you're hearing from? We call a lot of those people missionaries because specifically they're going to a place to become a missionary. But it's interesting because when we hear that, we today will look at it with skepticism. And that's the same way that people looked at Abraham. Like, are, you're leaving us, why? What's going on? Right? If we tell them we're hearing voices or we're hearing God, people will look for us to go to some kind of psychiatric help. Right? You're listening, you're hearing voices. Right? But we have a loving, benevolent God who loves us, who wants a relationship with us, who wants to talk to us. I have asked, is my faith as strong as Abraham's? If God tells me to go, would I go? I would like to say yes, but in all reality, I would probably fight it tooth and nail, right? I would probably fight it every way imaginable because I'd be too scared. But what's the difference between Abraham's relationship and God's relationship with mine? Is there a different relationship? Does God want a different relationship with Abraham than he does with me? Well, God tells Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations, Right? But my relationship, he wants that same relationship. He wants to have a closeness with me that he does with Abraham, to be able to talk with him, to see him. Now, the other thing I wanted to, because it's so fresh in my mind, is Abraham when he offers up his son, right? I have three kids, and I don't know if I could do that for any of them, no matter how bratty they are, right? Right? But Abraham doesn't, he has this faith because he knows it's not of this world. There's something better for him that's coming. And it's hard. It's hard to think like that. It's hard to think that God is more important than the earth because I have these feelings in my human nature that's driving me to think that way. 
But then I have God going, trust me, I love you. I want what's best for you. All you have to do is follow me. Listen to me. Now, as we get back to Matthew, or sorry, 1 Timothy 6, 12, Paul is telling us to fight the good fight of the faith. He's telling us that we can't give up. Things are going on. He's telling us that our fight, we have somebody behind us. We have somebody in our corner. We have somebody who is there to help us. And that is God the Father, and that is the Holy Spirit. We cannot give up. The work is hard, and it's a marathon and not a sprint. But if we do that, and we do it right, and we follow God with everything we have, and we read his word, and we listen to his word, and we help each other out, then we will reach the crown. Now, Paul uses a lot of sports imagery and uh, about when he talks about struggle and conflict and that we must endure and never give up and that we have to train ourselves, right? When I was growing up, uh, for a lot of us who are older, uh, especially if you lived around here, there were berry farms and we were berry pickers. I was in sixth grade, I was a berry picker. I went to pick strawberries and raspberries. Um, and I don't, I'm not a big strawberry fan. Like I like strawberry jam. Uh, let me rephrase that. I like the sugar in strawberry jam. Uh, I like strawberry flavor, but I don't like eating the berry. There's just a textural thing that I, I have challenges with. So I'm thinking, I'm not going to eat any of the berries. My friends are out there. It's like they're Baskets are half full because it's like one for me, one for the basket, one for me, one for the basket. I'm like, this will all, I'm just going to pick you guys under. You know, that's it. I'm going to make twice as much as you guys. Yeah, that failed miserably. <laughs> I didn't do very well. Um, in raspberries, I did a lot better, probably because I was standing up and not hunched over, right? But the interesting thing is that we have to train ourselves. We can't be awesome all at once. We can't just decide, you know what, I'm going to be great and I'm great, right? It doesn't work that way. And in sports, it specifically, especially doesn't work that way, right? You have to train and you have to get better and you have to practice, 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 practice. And that's what Paul is telling us. It's not something that is quick. It's something that we have to do continuously all the time. but I'm a sinner. And every day is a struggle. And it's a struggle, it's a fight between my human nature and my spiritual nature, my heavenly father. And I have to be, I have to have a concerted, I have to have a very tight focus to do what I can to train. And that's hard. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26, Paul says, do you not know that the race, that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athletic, athletics uh, exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Training is hard. 
Starting something that you haven't done before is hard. Or trying to do something that you haven't done in a long time is hard. When I was Annika's age, when I was Elisa's age, when I was in my teens and early 20s, I ran a lot. I played a lot of sports and I loved it. My brain says I can do that. My body says I cannot do that. But to train to get back to that idea of running, right? Because I love to run. I did track, right? I did football. I, I loved that basketball. I absolutely loved it. But to get back to that point is excruciating, very hard, excruciating, right? My muscles hurt, right? The first step's always the hardest. And then the second step, right? But you got to keep your feet moving. Got to keep it going. As Paul is talking to the Corinthians here, he's telling them that not everyone will receive the prize. We are called to follow what the Father has for us. And we have to be training for when that opportunity comes. An athlete will train and use self-control to be the best at their sport. And Paul says he doesn't run aimlessly or box as one is beating the air. He does it with purpose. Everything he does is with purpose. He's reading and praying with purpose. He's communicating with other believers with purpose. His relationship with Jesus and our Heavenly Father is with purpose. My relationship with my kids and my family and my wife is with purpose. There's a purpose there. With my kids, I want to train them. I want to teach them. I want them to, to know that I love them. But we have to be diligent in what we do. We have to be ready for when that comes. We cannot be sleeping on the job. Now, as I was getting ready for this sermon, as I was researching, I read a sermon from D.L. Moody. Um, and, and I didn't, I didn't, don't know, I mean, I know the name, but I don't know very much about him, to be honest. Uh, and I knew that he lived a long time ago, at least that's what I thought. Uh, and so I know that he, in researching a little bit, he died in 1899, um, which is a lot older than I, I thought, uh, to be honest. Uh, but he had a sermon that and I fell in love with. Other than the language was hard for me to read, I had to read it about three or four times. But I loved it. It was great. And there was a passage in there about uh, a story that he told where um, we have to be ready. Right? It says, fight the good fight of the faith. We need to be ready. We need to train and to be ready. And this is what his story says. A father that took his child out one day into the field. He was lying down under the shade of a tree. The little child was picking flowers and little blades of grass and carrying them to its father and saying in its childlike way, pretty, pretty. Soon the father fell asleep and while, the, while he slept, the child wandered away. When he awoke from his sleep, he looked up about him for his child and he lifted up his voice and shouted, but all he could hear was the echo of his own voice. Going to the prefaces of the cliff, some ways off, he looked down, and there upon the rocks and the briars, he saw the mangled form of his little child. He rushed to it, 
took up its lifeless corpse and accused himself of being the murderer of his own child. We need to be ready. We need to be diligent. We have to understand what's going on. There are people who are there around us that should be there to help us. Moody asked this question at the end of saying this. He goes, how many are sleeping in the church of God today while their children are falling over worse preposes than that? Worse cliffs than that. I can't say it. Right? Worse cliffs than that. You know, I think of my own children. Do they know what it means to fight the good fight of the faith? I think of, of Annika, who's a, almost an adult. Does she know? Elise, who's starting her second year in high school. Does she know? What does it mean as people around them, teachers, professors, other students, other people of influence who are telling them of what they believe is not right, what they believe is not okay? How do they fight the good fight of the faith? I think of Maddox and in, you know, 15 to 20 years. What does that look like? It's going to be different than it is today. Is it going to be harder? Yes. But that's up to me to lift him up, to train him, to encourage him to fight the good fight of the faith. What is faith? What does that mean? And how do you fight for it? How do you do, you do the good fight? As we watch the news and look out, people are fighting. They're struggling. But they're doing so in not a good fight. They're doing it in a way that is honoring Satan. Even people who say they are believers, which is the scariest thing for me. That is the saddest thing for me. It reminds me that we need to be aware of what we are doing. That we need to grow in our faith. That our struggle can be hard in the distractions that we have every day. That we need to be keenly aware of what our children are learning and what's going on. But not just our children, but our children in terms of those who are young in the faith. We have, um, we need to make sure that all of those people grow and continue growing. And we need to make sure that people who have been in faith for a long time, that they continue to grow, that we need to encourage them, that we need to make sure that they are doing okay. And that's hard, and that's something that is shared upon all of us. That is not just pastor reaching out. That is just, you know, not an individual reaching out. That is all of us helping each other out. We are a family. We are a family. We need to pray. We need to pray for. We need to teach. We need to disciple. We need to help people keep learning about their faith so they don't fall away, so they don't get trapped, so they can keep on fighting. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Paul tells him that he is destined for great things. We are all destined to, do, destined to do great things as followers of Jesus. All of us. 
Now, it's, it's difficult because there are times in which I will see that and I'll get a nice eye roll from my kids, right? And, and then I tell them, well, if it were easy, everyone would do it. God never says it's going to be easy, but he says it's going to be right. It's right. We are all called his children. So what does a father do? And he gives us those examples. A father teaches, a father rebukes. They love us. They encourage us, protect us. They show us, excuse me, through example, what needs to be done. That's what a father or mother should be doing. That's what we should be learning. We need to learn those things so we can fight correctly. Has our heavenly father done that? Has he, teach, has he taught us through his word? Absolutely. Has he taught us through prayer? Yes. Especially the rebuking, I get that a lot. Has he taught us through conversations with our Christian family or through lessons from our pastor? Absolutely. Has he taught us through music? Yes. There is no means in which God doesn't teach us. He loves us so much. And as we celebrated communion today, he showed us and we remembered that, what that love looked like. Jesus coming and he paid the ultimate price for that love. He paid the price that only he could pay. And he's showing us that love every single day. And we saw that today. We remembered that today. We celebrated that today, that love that he had. And Jesus showed us what it means to fight. Our Father is the one who will do all things for us, but we need to believe in him, we need to believe in his Son, and we need to believe in the Holy Spirit. But what does that really mean for us today? Now all of us, every single one of us, were called by God before the foundation of the world. We were called because God had something different for us. He had something special for us. Because we are. Once we walk out those doors, whether people that we work with, people that we associate with, we're completely different. 100% different. And that's a lot of what, Christ, what uh, excuse me, he's going to love that, what Chris has been talking about. Right. We need to pray. Oh, sorry, you just got lost. We're called to be different. We're called to be followers of Jesus Christ. We are called to make disciples. We are called to tell everyone about the good news of Jesus. We are called to, as believers to baptize other believers. We are called to teach them as Jesus taught his disciples. We are called to observe all that Jesus has commanded. We are called, period. Period. You are called. You are set apart. You are different. But being different is hard. Whether you're 12, whether you're 20, whether you're 43, whether you're older than 43, being different is hard. It's hard. You know, 
As many of you, if not all of you know, I love to go golfing, and I'm able to golf every Wednesday with my father. My father is not a believer at all. At all. And it's hard to be different around him. It's hard to say, that's not okay. It's hard to say, are you sure that's really right? Because he's my father, and I love him dearly. But we are called to be different. We're not called to be different while in church and different at home that, or at anywhere else, right? God has just called us to be different for him, period. But being different is hard. Because following Jesus is not what the enemy wants us to do. We have to fight because there will be a fight. We have to struggle because the struggle is every single day. And there's always going to be a struggle between Jesus and Satan as long or before Jesus returns. We will always struggle with Satan until Jesus comes back which I hope is soon. But what I would tell you is that the struggle is real, right? The struggle is real. And as I'm watching Maddox, right, these last four weeks, and he's trying to figure out how his arms are moving and legs and, you know, his brain is, is working, right? And, and there's, you know, waking up is hard and going to sleep is hard, right? And all, everything is hard for him right now. The struggle is real. And it's just as real for us. Our struggle against Satan is real. And it's exceptionally hard. But we have to fight the good fight of the faith. He tells us to fight. We need to remember that as we fight, it's an encounter. It's a struggle that we have to deal with. But we need to fight the good fight of the faith. We can read about people in the Bible and believers since then who have struggled with conflict. Right? People all around the world today as throughout history, have struggled with different conflicts, both personal and a lot bigger. But just like them, we need to fight. We need to continue to one, one, love one another. We need to continue to share and make disciples. We need to continue to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to remember uh, to teach their, our children and those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, regardless of where they are on their spiritual journey. I think that for me, that's a very scary one because there are people who believe, or, or let me rephrase that, when I was young in the faith to be able to talk to somebody who has been in faith for a long time to say, you know what, there's something there that's not right, or for them to say it to me, that was nervous and scary for me. But we are all on the same journey with the same goal to get to God, but there's only one way we can do that is by fighting the good fight of the faith against Satan. We can't fight it amongst each other. We can't fight it against other people. We have to fight it against Satan because that's the real issue. That's the part of the problem. That is the problem. And it's been a problem since the very, very beginning. Jesus tells us that we need to observe all that he taught us and shown us and commanded us. And that we have the promise from Jesus that he will always be there for us. 
that the Father will always be there for us, and that the Holy Spirit will always be there for us. Because of the faith that we have during this time, an unusual time, now more than ever, we need to be different. Now, I, was, I, I found a story from Billy Graham, and I was wrestling with the, if I wanted to include it or not. But I, I, I'm going to read it because uh, it's a lot of how I feel with the fight. We have to fight the good fight of faith. And Billy Graham told this story. He says, an Eskimo came into town every Saturday afternoon. He always brought two dogs with him. One was white and the other was black. And he taught them to fight on command. Every Saturday afternoon in the town square, the people would gather and see two dogs would fight and the fishermen would take bets. On one Saturday, the black dog would win. Another Saturday, the white dog would win. But the fishermen always won. His friends began to ask him how he did it. And he said, I starve one and feed the other. With the one I feed always wins because he is stronger. Billy Graham goes on, the story about the two dogs is out because it tells us something about the inner warfare that comes into the life of a person who is born again. We have two natures with us, both struggling for mastery with one who, with which one will dominate us. It depends on which one we feed. If we feed our spiritual lives and allows the Holy Spirit to empower us, he will have rule over us. If we starve our spiritual nature and instead feed the old sinful nature, the flesh will dominate. We need to fight the good fight of faith. Which one are you feeding? Unfortunately, I would say at times I'm feeding my human sinful nature. And I'm not proud to say that. It's actually quite humbling to say that from here. But it's the truth. It's the truth. I want to do better. I want to show my children and my wife and my family better. I want to show them what it means to fight the good fight of the faith. What does it mean to have faith in our day and age? What does that look like? We need to build our faith through prayer, fasting, reading the word, listening to what's being taught, to understand our human nature and to stop feeding our human fleshly desires. We need to fight the good fight of the faith. Now, our application point is very simple this morning. Uh, fight the good fight of the faith. And I want you to remember that faith is the assurance of the things hoped for and the conviction of the things not seen. Our faith is in Jesus. And he gives us a firm foundation to stand on and the promises and the promise that he gives us. Next week, we're going to look at that promise. We all know what the promise is. He's going to look, we're going to look more deeply into that eternal life of promise. And that's exciting. Because that is a hope that we have as believers that Satan doesn't have and will never have. And he is angry and he is frustrated and he wants to make sure that he can take as many people with him as he can. 
because he is so angry. But we need to be able to keep and fight the good fight of faith. We need to be able to make sure that we are strong enough to be able to tell and to be and encourage other people. We need to be strong enough to be able to speak to other people and be the person that God wants us to be. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am humbled by your word. And I am so grateful that we are able to celebrate communion today. I am not even able to express my gratitude through words of what you have done for me, really for all of us. Throughout our lives, you are there to help us. Show us example of what faith looks like. What does it mean to fight the good fight of faith? As we leave here today, I pray that we can meditate on what we need to do to grow our faith, to make us stronger, to be able to encourage others, to hear your voice. I pray that as we leave here this week that we will be able to hear the Holy Spirit and that we will be able to move in the direction you want us to move. I thank you for those who are here and I thank you for those who are not here. Bless them all. Again, I ask that you be with Pastor Chris as he is away. Be with Erica as she is here without them. And I ask that you just be with us all and give us many, many blessings as you have continued to do throughout our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.